What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Recently on the Winging It podcast, Vince Carter and Annie Finberg sat down with NBA All-Star Kyle Lowry and recording artist for Timmy. This week, 2017 first overall pick Markel Fultz joins the show to talk about living up to expectations and working his way back from injury in the NBA. Make sure to check out Winging It on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Fantasy Football Podcast on the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. My name is Danny Heifetz, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my co-Danny, the hero we need and the analyst we deserve, the Dark Knight himself, Danny Kelly. <laughs> How are you doing, DK? I'm doing really well, man. How are you doing? I am fantastic. You sound a little drained. Yeah, it's been a long week here at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. I think I'm losing my voice a little bit, but... Uh... You know, we're just going to kind of push through it. We're going to, we're going to, these players have had a very, very tough week and, you know, we're going to use that as inspiration and get this thing, get, get this thing done. That's it. Well, you lo- you're losing your voice, but we're going to find it. That's what <laughs> this is for. We're going to, we're all going to find our voice here in Indianapolis. Uh, yeah, we're going to look at the combine from this week, a uh, little bit of a fantasy lens. We're going to give just your impressions, yeah. your expertise, mm-hmm. run through the prospects. Prospects, prospects. <laughs> right. I'm also. I'm just losing my words. You're losing your voice. I don't have my words anymore. Uh, but yeah, who boosted their stock? Who went up, down? Start the quarterback impressions. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any overall impressions from the combine in general? In general? Yeah. Do you want like my honest? Well, because here's the thing. Yes, I'm supposed I to like have really smart opinion. thoughts and stuff. Like, do you want to know what my actual thought from this week? What's that? I just can't unsee all the scouts for the 40 yard dash who like. <laughs> Are hand timing the forty yard dash yeah. in the year twenty twenty? It's the most like, absurd thing. There's like actual lasers and sensors and slow motion cameras that capture the forty yard dash to the hundredth of a second, <laughs> and then there's all these scouts who are like sitting in like section one fifteen of Lucas Oil Stadium, like hand timing and just trying to like click it, click it right on the nose because like I. What are, what is the actual explanation on God's green earth to be hand timing a forty yard dash in twenty? What, what? Why do they do that? I tried to think about the reasoning for <laughs> for that. I really don't know. Like the the honest answer is I don't know why, other than maybe tradition. Well, no, I think I think the actual <laughs> answer is that like the scouts who like like I mean, look, I'm talking I don't want to name names, but Charlie Casserly is like, right. always the guy they cut to. Like he's like hand timing it, and I think the actual answer is like. He has been doing it for so long yeah. that the hand time forties are quicker because you know human beings are not as responsive as lasers. <laughs> so they he, they want to be able to ca- compare apples to apples with like the hand time he had for like Joe Montana in like nineteen eighty or whatever. Yeah, but the numbers are wrong. That's the whole reason. Like the the the, the hand time ones are always faster. The margin for error is seriously massive with hand timing. Like it's actually <laughs> insane to think that it's like so dumb. Wh- like I, I I don't know. The f- you see all these scouts doing the hand sorry. So that's my real takeaway. Yeah. No, I think it's twenty twenty. No more hand timing twenty twenty. Yeah, that is absolutely probably one of the biggest like most absurd things about this week is is I mean just think about it, like if you miss it <laughs> e- even by like a split second it's like 
two tenths of a second. For, like, so like the next time everyone's so like, why are random. like all these prospects? You know, it's like a fifty percent hit rate in the first round. Just keep that one in mind. <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's get to your actual nuance right. thoughts, DK. Quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to start with Tua and uh, Joe Burrow, the two biggest names, the two biggest quarterbacks in this class. Probably going to be the two top quarterbacks taken. I'm almost positive they'll be the two top quarterbacks taken, unless anything crazy happens in the next few weeks in terms of Tua's health. But the good news coming out of the combine, exactly what everyone was kind of hoping to find out, was that Tua Tagovailoa, sorry, Tungavailoa, his medicals came back very positive. According to Rap Sheet, uh, Ian Rappaport, two days of medical testing, he received overwhelmingly positive reports on his dislocated hip from teams who examined him. The MRIs were as clean as hoped, fractures healed, his hip fracture, and there's no loss of blood flow. So, in other words, there's no worry yet that you're having like a Bo Jackson type injury thing where the blood flow gets affected and you have to have a career ending type thing so you can't run on it anymore. So overall, Tua's health has looked good. He seems to be on pace to a full recovery. He said when he was up on the podium that the plan was to get him clearance from his doctors on March 9th. So that's actually just around the corner and he'll be able to start like throwing and doing all that. So we can expect him to probably do some stuff at his pro day. So that's really exciting. It honestly throws some uncertainty into the idea that Joe Burrow is the number one lock. You the lock at number one. I mean, I still believe that Burrow will be number one. But a fully healthy Tua changes, I think, the overall certainty that that's what's going to happen because he's such a good, good passer. If he's healthy, I think he he could challenge for that spot. Well, first of all, to be clear, like the medical stuff is actually the reason all the teams are here. Mm-hmm. I believe it's actually the reason the combine was even organized yeah. in the first place yeah. was we have to have our doctors look at these guys because we can't trust, you know, it's just a, a matter of trust. Well, it was a logistical thing, actually. Like when they first, and the reason it's called the combine is, and I can't remember the two names, but basically it was two different, like two different groups were meeting with their prospects and then they combined them together mm. into the combine. So, um, oh. Because it's combined. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. It's really creative. I've never name. thought of that yeah. one before. So um ah. essentially they used to, yeah, there used to be Learned two different groups that would meet together with all these prospects and eventually they combine them together. So but the basic I feel idea so was so dumb that I never figured <laughs> out that's why it was called the combine. Yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's the the main idea is a logistical thing. Like they don't want to have to fly guys like three hundred plus players come to the combine. And teams would not want to have to fly these guys around and or go see them wherever they are all throughout, you know, the spring or whatever, all throughout the winter. It's just a logistical nightmare. So, like, bringing everyone to the same spot. That was the idea of the medical thing. So so getting their medicals is the most important thing because they just want to know how healthy these guys are. Yeah, and then while they're here, be... they want to be able to interview them. Yeah. And then they might as well confirm what they've seen on tape with some athletic testing to make sure there's no massive discrepancies. Yeah. But for the most part, the medical is the most important thing. And Tua's medical was the most important medical of the entire process. So without exaggeration, Tua's hip examination was the biggest news of the entire combine. I mean, yeah. I, like if you talk, if you're talking about like potential to be a top three pick, yeah, I think so. Because um, I mean, like a lot of the guys at the very, very top, bro, didn't work out. He didn't throw. He didn't run. So you know that was a little anticlimactic in that sense. And then Chase Young, same deal. He's just kind of here to hang out. I mean, obviously he's going to be interviewing, but he's he's already put all the everything he needed to put on tape, and he's a great, great player. He's unquestionably going to be a top. I guess top four player because there could be three quarterbacks if you have trade ups, but 
He's he's the top non-quarterback in this class. So I, I thought the beginning of the week was about Tua and Burrow, and then the latter half of the week was everyone remembering that there are quarterbacks other than Tua and yeah. Joe Burrow. So what non-Joe Burrow to and Tua quarterbacks really made an impact this week? Yeah. So I think Justin Herbert of Oregon. He seems to have quite a bit of buzz coming out of this week, and um, I think there's legitimate buzz that he could be a top five pick, the kind of guy that teams trade up for to to get him. So number one, measured out at six foot six, two hundred thirty six pounds. That's like prototypical pocket passer size. But he's also very athletic. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. And, and defense of Robert Mays. Uh, it's a little Robert too Mays tall. would not say prototypical. <laughs> okay, six foot four maybe would be prototypical. He's six foot six, so on also, the tall quick side. Quick tangent. I I don't want to just like un like completely undo all of Mays's like I swear to God, tall guys can't pass. But like John Gruden just answered this question on Hard Knocks about why tall guys can't do it. Because oh, yeah. he was chastising Mike Lennon, who's like six eight, and like literally as an offhand tangent, he just looks at Glennon and he's like, "You can't stare down your receivers. You're so damn tall. The safety just sees where you're looking." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, that's why tall guys can't do it. It's really obvious who they're looking at." Is this why short quarterbacks are taking over the NFL? Yes, the defense literally can't see them. <laughs> I don't want to be like yes, but that's kind of yes. interesting. So anyway, continue. Yeah. So getting back to Herbert. People were very, very impressed. There was, you know, it was like hyped up all over Twitter and here at the Combine about his throwing at the um, at the session on Thursday night. And so, yeah, people were very, very excited about Herbert. You know, he didn't he didn't do anything that makes your it's nothing like eye popping necessarily, but he ran a four six eight. He jumped thirty five and a half inches in the vert. Good athleticism. We kind of already knew that. Was faster than Jarvis Landry's. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, he's obviously an, an athletic guy, and that's important in the NFL these days, ability to move. We've seen that with Josh Allen. We've seen that with Daniel Jones. You know, the ability to kind of get around once the pocket breaks down and once protection breaks down, like if you're able to escape, that makes things much more difficult on a defense. But it's um, a secondary skill. Like, what, I guess my question with Herbert is, does, is his processing decision-making actually NFL level? Because there's like, one, there's just a threshold of like, can you survive in the NFL? But I think he's probably there. But is he a guy that you think actually can thrive and, and, and like NFL game speeds, like his processing when he's going through his reads and things like that is what yes. you're asking. I don't think that's a different question based on tape only. And I do believe that there's flashes of that. When, when I watched his tape, we did not get that answer here at the combine. So like, oh, like, not the passing against the air with no shoulder pads right, against saying, the receivers. Like, we didn't. We didn't people were, yeah, people were very impressed with. He kind of like just went for it. He aired it out. He was like being aggressive. The other thing is a lot of people think he's a little too passive and quiet. Like. You know, people want an alpha guy at the quarterback position in the NFL. It's just kind of what coaches want. It's the leader of the team. It's the face of the team. They want that type of guy. And there's questions about whether he's like that, whether he's um, outgoing enough. He's a little bit introverted is what the sort of reporting, the report is on him. And I read a couple of places that he was, you know, he's passing that test with flying colors, like being outgoing and things like that. So that's something that scouts look at. It's kind of silly. Like we're both kind of like, like laughing about that, but. It's something I think that scouts and coaches actually look for. So I think he passed that test too. Um, I actually saw. Wait, you're saying he's introverted, but he passed the test. What do you mean? Like he was, he w- he's known as introverted, but he was good in the interviews. Like he was like, yeah, he was good here in in Indianapolis. He was a leader. He was talking to guys. He was pumping guys up. That kind of stuff. Like that's the kind of stuff they were looking Got for. Got some people he, pumped and jacked. I actually noticed he was doing that at Senior Bowl too. So he's he's been coached up that this is a, a very important thing and. I Where think, do you think Herbert would fit? Where? 
Because, like, I mean, the draft order, so you've obviously got the Bengals at one, and then you've got Washington at two, and odds are it's Burrow and Chase Young. Right. Lions, we'll see what happens. But then you've the Giants at four, and then you've got quarterback alley, right? You've got the Dolphins at five, uh, Chargers at six, you've got Panthers at seven. Like, you've got, like, three teams in a row that seem to, like, really yeah. be in the quarterback market. And then, so, of those three, like, forget free agency for a second. Where Where do you think he would fit? I mean, I think the Chargers make the most sense. The Panthers are reportedly keeping Cam and rolling with Cam, which I think is the right thing to do. And the Dolphins, I think, are the are going to go for Tua, though there have been reports during the week. And this is all, like, this happens every single year. There's report contradictory reports about literally everything. Um, so there's been, there were reports that um, the Dolphins are interested in, in Herbert just as much as Tua. There's reports that the Lions are interested in Herbert or Tua. The two parts of reports. One, Buzz, because you mentioned buzz and players rising and falling. I think the biggest misconception is that players rise and fall on team boards when they kind of don't. Players well, are mostly extent, set on to the extent that people think I it's see. more that the public perception right. is catching up to reality. So it's kind of like right now it's like the tail has been wagging the dog. And then now we're like, oh, wait, this is what. Te-. So like Jordan Love, for example. Mm-hmm. Quarterback at Utah State. That's a guy who no one. I don't think many people. Um, in like media or insiders or whatever realized how much higher he was on teams boards than until this week. So what, what did you think of Jordan love? I mean, same deal. Like it's very difficult for, I, I believe it's difficult to kind of judge anything based on the combine throwing. Like you said, it's against air. I think they should it, be. I mean, it's inherently silly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's silly. Also, they don't just in terms of my honest takeaways, I, I'm supposed to have nuanced thoughts. And all I can think about when they run the 40 yard dash is why aren't they wearing shoulder pads? Right. <laughs> I just, I can't believe they don't wear shoulder pads when they're running. Just really kind of, or matters. a helmet. Yeah. It's unbelievable, but sorry. Continue. So, so yeah, that, I mean, that, that's how I feel about that overall though. Like the impression, like quote the buzz here is that people love him. Like teams love Jordan love. And there's a lot of question marks because he had a bad season last year. He had 20 touchdowns, 17 picks. He made a lot of bad decisions with where he was going with the football. But I think overall, you know, number one, he kind of, he had a good answer to the question of, you know, if he's getting sick of talking about all his interceptions when he, when he was up on the podium, he said, if I didn't want to talk about 17 picks, I shouldn't have thrown them. So I think that's a pretty good, like taking accountability for what happened. But there was, there was a lot of circumstances around him last season you know, he had a good, he had a very good 2018 season, had a lot of buzz coming into this season. And then he lost his coach. Uh, there was a whole bunch of turnover on the offense. It was like a whole new offense, essentially. And he tried, I think he tried to carry that team and did things. It's, you know, he did things. It's kind of like the Philip Rivers thing. Like he tried to carry the team and it just did not turn out well for him because he was trying to do too much. Maybe he'll fit in on the Chargers. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I think overall, you know, he had a very good week. I saw Ian Rapford again. He said the love affair wasn't something I anticipated in terms of how much teams seem to love love. ESPN's Lewis Riddick tweeted this the other day. He could go much higher than expected based on what I hear and see. And Todd McShay is a big believer in Jordan Love. He actually made a bet with Mel Kuyper for five grand that love will go ahead of Justin. This Herbert. was my favorite moment of the week. I'm not. I'm not messing around. Dead serious. My favorite moment of this week. On I mean, it didn't even happen. Like we're in Indianapolis right now. This didn't even happen. Like at a moment, I just saw it on television. Right. Mel Kiper and Todd McShay arguing. Like 
First of all, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have just spent too much time together. Like they straight up are just like because there's like is this de- what we're gonna be like in like 15 years? I hope, just but it's hate like each other because here's the thing: there's like debating, right? There's like Stephen A. Smith right. and Max Kellerman just go into a production meeting and they're like, "Well, we need to be on opposite sides of that." So they just take right. opposite sides and then they argue to create controversy. Yeah, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay don't do that. They come to genuinely different beliefs. They argue like they're like the like a married couple who's been fighting for like 20 minutes in the car on the way to the restaurant for like a double date. And then they get out of the car and they have to put on a nice face, but they're not over it. So they just, the argument bleeds into dinner. And it's really like but it's, instead of dinner, it's like live television. So they're sniping at each other. It's unbelievable. Like like Todd McShay is like Jordan loves great. He's going to be the third quarterback off the board instead of Justin Herbert. And T- Mel Kuyper is just disgusted. Just he sneering. And he looks at me. He's like, "You're dreaming. You're dr- what's wrong?" Like it, it's so personal. Yeah, it's so joyous to just watch them. But I actually thought it was representative of the larger thing. I was going to say that it's like that's a microcosm for the draft, draft Twitter, draft yes, everything. And yeah. I thought it was representative because two things like. I think there's a serious chance four of the top eight picks are quarterbacks. So I think that that's worth remembering. Uh, Every year we kind of underestimate how many quarterbacks are going to go in the top eight or so because, oh, Jordan Love, fringe first rounder. Well, there isn't really a fringe first rounder quarterback when quarterbacks are as scarce as they are, especially when there's so many teams that need quarterbacks in the top half of the first round. So first of all, just love McShay and Kuyper arguing in public. It's fantastic. And this is just the beginning of the whole quarterback conversation because it's been so dominated by two and Burrow that, okay, Herbert, Love are in it. And then we didn't even get into, there's like the third tier of kind of like Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, Jalen Hurts. We have a lot of yeah. time to talk about Yeah, we about didn't them, even talk but, about Jalen Hurts either who could. And, and again, like going back to the fantasy lens on this whole thing, you know, I didn't expect Daniel Jones to be a fantasy factor in year one. I didn't expect him to be a top 10 pick. And then he was with both in both cases. So I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of excitement around Burrow, what he can do in year one, how he can change what we assume is going to be the Bengals offense and how he can elevate the guys around him in terms of fantasy. I think we have to start thinking about what guys like Herbert, what and love and potentially Hertz could do. I don't think Hertz Hertz has a it's it's a longer shot for him to be a starter in like early on. But I mean those two guys love and Herbert potentially could start early and be big fantasy factors. So that that was kind of a takeaway coming out of this this combine is that there's the the hype is definitely building on these quarterbacks and like you said there could be four in the top 10. Well speaking of hype so I, this is the deepest receiver class in summer between 5 and like 25 years. Yeah. There's a crazy amount of guys who like receivers that are just in consideration for the first round receivers in consideration for the first three rounds are just all like really the highest in years. So Mm -hmm. who are the dudes who stood out to you? So Henry Ruggs from Alabama, which this was not a surprise. He was kind of expected to be He wanted to break the 40 yard dash record and he failed. So he's slow, right? That's the takeaway. He did not have the fastest run ever. He was a major failure running a four two seven forty, which was best of the group. Um, so and I think, suck, Henry Ruggs. <laughs> yeah, so, but I think the the thing actually that stood out to me about Henry Ruggs is not necessarily that he was as almost as fast as he hoped to be. He was as fast as expected. He was, he absolutely, we're joking about the failure thing, by the way, if, to be perfectly clear. You were, I, I, I was, was serious. He was very, very fast. But the other thing I think that was impressive, impressive was that he also showed off a lot of explosive athleticism. He had a 42 inch vert, a 10 foot 11 broad jump that was the his vert actually was the highest uh 42 inches was the highest of any player to run sub four three oh uh since combine data has been tracked 
Can I give you a hot take? What's that? They need to replace the vert with just dunking on various high school basketball rims. Oh my God, I rims. love that idea. Because there needs to just be like a pass fail of can you dunk? Yeah. And then there just needs to be, okay, like can you dunk on a nine foot rim, 10 foot rim, 11, you know what I mean? Just raise Absolutely. it so they can't dunk anymore. That should be the vert. Because I hear 42 inch vert, that means nothing to me. I have no idea what that means. It's funny that you bring that up because I was going to actually throw out this hot take that it's not really hot, but it's a lukewarm take that I have way more faith in a in a player becoming a good NFL player if they can dunk. Oh well, <laughs> like you know what? Let's, have, just, like, skip ahead. Let's just skip ahead to Chase Claypool then. <laughs> Notre Dame, our forty five point per game tight end. Because you you got to be able, or sorry, receiver that might go to tight. end. I think he's. It sounds like he's going to stay a receiver, at least based on what we're hearing this week. Um, you know, we talked about how he gained weight from the senior bowl to the combine. It sounds like maybe that was just, he drank a whole bunch of water on the data that he weighed in. So we don't know if it's actually like this thing that he was planning or if he just had a bunch of water weight when they weighed in or what, but I, I don't think you can drink nine pounds of water today. Probably accident. not nine pounds. You're I think right. it was on purpose. I don't think he accidentally gained nine pounds for the NFL combine, but sort of the buzz coming out of the combine is, is teams are asking him to run kind of like a big slot role in and you it, like it's splitting hairs because a lot of like move tight ends will be running routes out of the slot anyway so but how do you do in the 40 yard dash so he chase claypool claypool blew up like he had one of the best combines in, in this whole group he had a 4 4 2 40 which is absurd for a guy who's 230 i think he's 35 238 pounds um 40.5 inch vert he had a 19 inch bench which is really good too 10 6 broad 80, 80 inch wingspan like he's huge he's fast he's explosive he's the type of guy that can average 45 points a game in high school <laughs> i mean just he was absolutely absurd what does that kind of speed mean in the context of his size i mean and, and people were saying he doesn't play to that speed which i think is probably true but that said like he looked really good at the senior bowl so to and basically to give context to this whole thing um saw a tweet from uh, I forget who it was, but anyways, wide receivers six foot four and two hundred and thirty five pounds or or heavier to run four four five or under in the combine ever. There's two players: Chase Claypool, which happened this year, and Calvin Johnson. What? So I'm not saying he's Calvin Johnson, but that's the type of athlete he is at his size. That gives you some context into Calvin the, Johnson the, the and freakish Ch- numbers. And Chase Claypool. Yeah, those are the two guys, six foot four, 235 pounds or heavy. So obviously the six foot four thing is a little bit of like a cherry picking stat. <laughs> it's it probably should more just be his weight, but like that gives you an idea of the size, uh, weight, speed, like freakiness that he hit. He's absolute like But it's still height and weight. It's not like they chose BMI index, you know what I mean? Of like, you know So anyways, he he had an awesome, awesome combine he's probably going to end up being drafted earlier than a lot of people were thinking maybe in the third round or something like that and so um, I think he comes out as a winner the other guy that was an absolutely massive winner actually there's two other guys that were massive massive winners in the combine testing portion here Denzel Mims from Baylor I think was kind of the star of the show on Thursday night he had a 4-3-8-40 he also ran a 6-6-6 three cone which is absolutely ridiculous for a guy who's that tall, he's, I think he's like six foot three. In a sentence, what does the three cone measure? His ability to change direction without gearing down. You know, the, your your agility, your short area quickness, your ability to kind of like, I mean, like it's the three cone to me is is sort of like a stand in for route running a little bit because you're able to change direction really quickly without like losing speed. So yeah, he had an amazing three cone, 38 inch vert, 10, 11 broad. You know, he just, he absolutely blew it up. 
And I saw on playerprofiler.com, his closest physical athletic comp is none other than Chris Godwin, who just had his breakout season. The God himself. Yeah, so Mims it was a huge, huge winner. He's been a massive, massive winner in the whole postseason pre-draft process because he was absolutely the star of the Senior Bowl. He absolutely dominated the Senior Bowl. He was like making highlight reel stuff every single day. So he is going to be a guy that comes out of the combine with, and I don't know if he will be a first rounder, but he's going to be getting some first round buzz, if that makes any sense. Like he's going to be a guy that people start putting in mocks in the first round. For the rest of time, every time we mention Denzel Mims on this podcast, I would like to drop the This Is Why I'm Hot by Mims. Can we get that? Like, this is why I'm can we, can we, How do you feel about You're that? You're going to have to ask Craig about that one. I'm, I'm guessing he's probably going to nix it, but we'll see. No, no, no. Craig will do it. Craig, will, Craig would never say no to that kind of request. Okay. Who, so one who more. Who else won the combine? From the combine for the receiver group t- testing period, Justin Jefferson of LSU. I think people were not expecting him to run fast. I saw some people speculating he could come out of the combine actually as a loser, like a guy who was like falling down boards. And I say that with quotate, like fake quotation, like falling down boards. Um, and I saw, I think I saw some speculation could be in the four sixes kind of like really hurt his stock because, you know, speed is important for a receiver. It's not the only thing, but it is overall important. He ran a four, four, three, 40, 37.5 inch for 10, six broad. So he was very, very athletic. And I think overall, he just answered questions about his speed. He's definitely a speed. He's definitely got the speed he needs at that position. Um, so, yeah, I think he was another guy that just, if he didn't solidify himself in the first round, he gives himself a great, great chance to be a first-round pick. So Je- Jefferson comes out of this. He's, you know, he was just absolute freakish production this season. Um, I think he had 18 touchdowns in that LSU offense. He's just very, very good out of the slot. And so I think he's the type of guy that, you know, if teams were wavering on him at, at the top of their board, I think they won't have to have that anymore. So he could be a first-round pick. Which of this, for people who are, whether it's fantasy, but also just people like hoping that you can get a receiver, make an impact year one, which of these guys do you think would most impact an offense as a rookie? Not just like they can become a number one receiver one day, but like would change an offense, not overnight, but like in their first season. Are you talking about the guys we've just talked about? Any of them. Doesn't Any have other, so like I think Ju- Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb Stand above Judy the from rest. Alabama and CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, not to get too deep into those guys, but both guys, I think, tested really well, like answered questions. Both of them have speed. It's it, like now there's no question marks really about either of those guys. And so so I think those guys definitely answered the, the question that they could come in and be high impact players year one. I think those two guys are at the top of my list. Um, and then after that, I would probably say Ruggs and Jefferson offer the ability to, to and in very different ways, like Ruggs is a field stretching type guy. Jefferson is a guy that can make plays out of the slot in the red zone. Um, so they both bring a little bit different dynamic, but I think both of those guys could also be pretty productive in year one. Any other receivers you want to hit? One other guy, actually, I forgot. Donovan Peoples-Jones of Michigan. And this guy was a former five-star recruit who went to Michigan. There was very, very high expectations for him. It just never really panned out. The production never happened. He only caught 34 passes for 438 yards and six touchdowns in 11 games last season. It was just, it just never really worked out for him in, in, in Michigan, at Michigan. And so he came in though with, like, I remember I was talking to some people before the draft, before the combine, and he was getting some uh, second round buzz despite the lack of those, like, terrible production. Just well, not just terrible production. We met, like, Michigan fans were not. Yeah, they're satisfied not, they're not with, super high like, on, well, with Donovan People Jones's production at Michigan. 
uh, like it's actually almost oddly similar to like Rashawn Gary on defense, where it was like like Rashawn Gary was like a, like a really high prospect for out of high school, and then a really talented high prospect entering the NFL. But Michigan fans were like, Chase Winovich is the best player on our defense. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> After Pepper was like, Chase Winovich was the guy. Michigan fans were like, he's better than Rashad Gary. And then it's weirdly like Peoples Jones is the offensive version of Rashawn Gary, where it's like all these numbers are so impressive, but the people who like watched him are like so unimpressed. So <laughs> how well, that's, much a ge- that- that's generalizing. But, of no, course, no, but I'm but saying, yes, but no, of course, like- but, no, actually, every single Michigan fan. No, I don't know. I'm just the Michigan fans that I know. Mostly, mostly know at the ringer. But uh, I guess what I'm really asking you is how much do you value that in the evaluation process when you're looking at someone and you're trying to get tangibles? But do you care what fans who are obviously deeply biased, but also deeply invested have to think about a player? Cause that's actually in the team context. Like, yeah, I was talking to some people about this. Actually, I definitely trust like what a team's fans tell me, dude, fans. know. Yeah. So like, um, I was talking to Alex Kirshner from, uh, from SB Nation, and he was—he actually tweeted this today. He's like, "So, which player is it going to be?" I think he was talking about Grant Delpit from LSU. He's like, "Is this going to be the guy that all college football fans have to just tell NFL draft nicks like that he's good?" <laughs> There's like one guy every year that that college football player or college football fans just know is really good, yeah. and like for whatever reason, they're not as high on like draft people's boards or whatever. Well, the, the ultimate, the ultimate one for that. Not ultimate, because that's last. But the number one one for that is Tyron Matthew. Well, I was going to say Lamar Jackson. Oh. Like, college football fans well, at least Lamar did absolutely, go in the first round. absolutely knew Lamar Jackson was going to be a stud in the NFL. Yeah. And there was a lot of NFL people who were like, well, can he throw? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, So anyways, that's kind of getting off the point. Yeah, but off the point. But So you like Peoples-Jones, even though... I, well, I don't actually personally like him. I, the point is that he's probably going to that get... It sounded like you didn't like him as a person, but you're just like, you're in Europe. <laughs> I watched this tape. It wasn't very impressive. However, and actually, we have, we're have we burying the lead here. We didn't actually even say what he did. So he had a 44 and a half inch vert, which is the second most of all receivers since 2006. So he's absolutely explosive, explosive guy. 448 in the 40. 11-7 broad, which is, again, really, really, really good. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind here, his tape wasn't good, but he did have per PFF the fourth most uncatchable targets in the class. So there was obviously so Shea Patterson, the Michigan quarterback, sucks. Yeah, there was obviously saying? problems with the quarterback and the in the offense in general. Um, so I think he is a sleeper. I'm not super high on him, but he's definitely a sleeper. He's a guy to keep in mind. Teams are probably going to reach on this guy a little bit based on his physical traits. And again, that's kind of like what happens at the combine. You come out and, and these guys are just very, very fast, very explosive, um, you know, athletes. And I actually talked about this before. Teams like to keep an eye on and invest in former five-star recruits that didn't pan out in college because there's, you know, there's this thought that you can cultivate that talent. Well, not just cultivate the talent. Coaches believe the problem with every player is, is they haven't been coached and that everyone can be coached and that other coaches weren't good enough. But, I, you know, this... I am, which has led to my favorite battle of 2019, which was Sean McVay taking on Blake Bortles because, you know, it's a coaching issue. And then John Gruden doubling down and being adding Nathan Peterman. Yeah. It's a coaching issue. But anyway, enough about Peoples Jones. Let's go on to other people. Running backs. Yeah. So the running backs were fun again. 
And Jonathan Taylor, we came into the week thinking... Running back he, from he, Wisconsin. Yeah, running back from Wisconsin, world, who is potentially going to be a first round or potentially going to be the first running back off the board. Six most rushing yards in college football history. Yeah, I mean, he's just... Again, he's... If you were building a running back in a lab, like the, the Jonathan Taylor is what it would look like. He's six foot. Why? Yeah. He's he's two hundred twenty eight pounds, I believe. Like just made of stone, and he ran the forty in four three nine. Like he's a former sprinter, and and you watch like his his uh, his start, the way that he was able to get to top speed almost immediately, and just you know like lightning. Like he and that's and you see that in his game actually because a lot of times you don't see the guy's speed on tape. But I definitely think you see Jonathan Taylor's speed on tape because he's he's a home run hitting threat like in the open field. And so, yeah, he hit four three nine again in the forty, and he actually jumped uh, thirty six inches in the vert, which is another very good number for a guy his size. So there's two running backs to weigh two hundred twenty five plus and hit a combined forty under four four five since two thousand uh, since twenty fourteen. So over the last like seven years, six seven years, Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. I've heard of him. So he say he's Taylor is absolutely in the Saquon stratosphere as an athlete. Just just to be clear. So why so why did Saquon go number two and Jonathan Taylor? Like, are you telling me he's going to go in the top twenty or what? I think I, I'm not saying they're the same prospect. I think Saquon was a better prospect. Saquon why? he well number one. I just think Saquon's a little bit more physical and because like Taylor is is elusive. He's well-built, he's fast, all that stuff. But I think Barkley is a little bit more physical as a running back. So I don't know if that really matters to teams. I just think, like, the... I think we are starting to see sort of, like, the NFL teams realize that taking a running back in the top 10 is just not going to pay off, <laughs> maybe. But for, for whatever reason, there's not there's not top 10 hype on Taylor. I think I would be surprised if Taylor went in the top 10. Okay. What other running backs did you end up liking? So another guy that actually might be... The first running back off the board, Dondre Swift of Georgia. I think there were some questions about his Which, overall. First of all, wait, this, the name is just un, like a running back's name being Swift is <laughs> unbelievable. Right, it's great, and he actually proved. You know, he lived up to that namesake four four eight in the forty, which is I think. You know, there was some questions about his long speed, his overall explosiveness. Like he's he's an all around good running back, but I think there were some questions like, does this guy have enough speed? And he answered that four four eight in the forty. Like he looked great, thirty five and a half inch vert. So Swift definitely solidified himself as a top tier athlete. In addition to great tape, so he's another guy that could potentially be the first running back off the board. A couple of different sleeper type guys. Cam Akers of Florida State, another former five star recruit, by the way, who ended up at Florida State, just ran behind a terrible offensive line all his whole career. Didn't have the production that you'd hope from a five star guy, but he had flashes where you're like, this guy is absolutely you know elite athlete and he showed that again this this week 447 in the 40 35 and a half inch vert he looked really really quick and fast in the in the drills and then wait can i ask you a dumb question on that sure how do you evaluate a running back who has great blocking who might go to the nfl where he might have worse blocking like for example memphis um was, was it who's the running back that had Daryl Henderson? Daryl Henderson had like nine yards per carry. He he had more yards before contact than like most like yards before contact, which is roughly speaking yards blocked for you. I mean, that's not exactly what it is, but he basically had more yards blocked for him than most running backs in the country just had. Period. But 
how do you apply that to the league where you're not going to have great do- like blocking dominance? And the antithesis, like how do you evaluate a running back who is awful blocking like Cam Akers? How do you go about that? I think it's. I mean, it's not. It's not super easy, but I do think you can look at a guy and see how he's able to create for himself. Whether he's, you know, running through the tackles and able to plow through people, elude people in short areas. And I, you see that on Jonathan's ta- Jonathan Taylor's tape. Like his Wisconsin blocking is just better than what Cam Akers got at Florida State. Exactly. That's what I'm wondering. Because- but you see him making guys miss on tape a lot. Like he has very good feet. You know, he's he's got these little subtle, almost like slalom, like jukes where he's going through the, you know, through the defense and making guys miss, destroying pursuit angles from guys trying to tackle him, that kind of thing. You know, it's it's a subjective thing, I think, a little bit. But and like you said, you have to account for the blocking. But I mean, I think both Taylor and Swift showed the ability to make guys miss, be elusive. So that's very, very important, even though both of them probably had way better blocking than Cam Akers did. But I think Akers is he's probably a dark horse to, you know, be an early second rounder. I think he reminded me a little bit of Aaron Jones in his explosiveness, his ability to, you know, hit the gas and just create explosive plays. So, you know, again, he he didn't have good blocking at, at Florida State, so it was kind of, it, he flew under the radar a little bit. It's kind of tough to judge exactly what he is as a running back, but I think he has potential to be like a, like a star in the NFL. So he's another guy that I think really stood out, had a good combine. And then, A.J. Dillon of Boston College, I think, comes in to the draft as like a very, very intriguing running back, kind of in the Derrick Henry mold. I don't think he's as good as Derrick Henry, but he's huge, Two, uh, 247 pounds. He ran a 4.5340, which is absolutely hauling ass at that size. And he looks, I mean, he just lo- he's just rocked up. Like, he's a big guy. Rocked up? Yeah. I've never heard that in my life. What does rocked up mean? Absolutely ripped. Oh, ripped, okay. And 41-inch vert, best in the class. For a six foot plus 247 pound guy, uh, 131 inch broad, best in the class again. So he's just not only is he huge and fast, but he's very, very explosive with his lower body. So, you know, he's not on Derrick Henry's level, in my opinion, but he's, he's also, he's, he's a back that I think in the right system, like a downhill system, could do some damage in the NFL. And I think I could definitely see NFL teams liking this guy. So he could be. A fantasy factor. All these guys could be huge fantasy factors in year one. He is a huge factor, regardless of like if the like just say if the Titans took this guy and and moved on from Henry, you know, for instance, there's plenty of options that could happen. But that like it's in the realm of possibility that he could just be like their immediate lead back. Want to get into a protracted debate about the value of Derrick Henry relative to the draft based on what his making is part of the cap? Do you want to do that right now? No, I just (laughs) Uh, you know what I really want to do. I want to just just take a moment to talk about Mackay Becton, the largest person at the combine who ran not a, a five point one. Maybe do you think he'll be a fantasy factor? Maybe they could just put him I want to running com- back. Could yes, that like could he play running back? I mean, the way he ran looked like it. Honestly, it looked like it. The, did you see his start the in the forty, block, like the Ravens and Niners, who were the two teams that gave like you had the fastest average miles per hour crossing the line of scrimmage, so he gets a head of steam. Could he run for four yards a carry in the Niners? <laughs> that's my question for you or the Ravens I don't know but it, it I'd love to see that I think he probably could like in a very small sample size I think we need to make tackles eligible passers he's so athletic he's and he's huge he's like 365 pounds and he can move it's a pound for every day of the year 
I mean, he is just, yeah, he was one of the most impressive guys. You know who else would love to see do stuff on offense is Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Absurdly athletic. 485 in the 40. That's faster than a lot of tight ends ran this year. Put him at tight end, man. He would just run people over like Gronk. So, you know, he's just he another guy that this is not fantasy related, but just absolutely like I mean, it can be fantasy related. We got we you gotta know. Maybe he's like an emergency running back. There I mean, what what was the hockey team that put like their some Zamboni driver at goalie the other day? I missed like, that. Mikai Beckton's closer to running back than like the, the you know that Zamboni driver would have been in theory. At least I would have thought so three weeks ago, but I don't know. Uh tight ends. Can I just say I'm disappointed this year's class? Yeah, it's it's a very shallow underwhelming class it's probably not going to have anybody in the top 50 I'd, i would guess so you know i don't know if any of these guys are going to be fantasy relevant in the in the first season and a lot of even the top tier like tj hawkinson like eighth overall pick wasn't very fantasy relevant after titans really struggle and then this isn't a good class so this is a great intro you're gonna have to have an absolutely perfect landing spot so why should we any care about any guys. who should we care about if there's anyone or should we care at all well i'll just say this um albert Okuwebunum, which I'm sure I'm saying his name wrong, so I'm just going to call him Albert O of wow. Oklahoma. Um, he ran a 4.49.40, which is really, really good for his size. He was over 250 pounds, so um, I think he was the main standout in the in the testing portion of it. Obviously, you know the tape matters. His tape was a little bit underwhelming this last season, um, but overall, like relative, especially to the rest of the class, he was by far the best athlete. Um, so he's a guy to kind of keep in mind. One. The other guy to kind of talk about here as a, a little bit of a follower in this group is Jared Pinckney of Vanderbilt. And he came into the week for me as a little bit of a sleeper potential type guy. Had a very good season in 2018. In fact, a lot of people were talking about him as a potential top three tight end of the 2018 class, but he ended up going back to school. Just had a bad season. It didn't work out for him there. And then he ran a 496, so almost five seconds flat, like just out of the Charlie realm. Charlie Castley had him faster than that, but with the hand time. Oh, did he? No, I'm kidding. I'm just, I made that up. Okay. Um, so anyways, that's that's just out of the realm of like NFL athleticism. It's just not good. If he can improve that as a pro day, I think that will help him a lot. Get into like the four eights and he'll be okay. But at that time, he might go undrafted. So he's, he's the kind of guy that didn't, he just didn't have a good day. We'll see how that translates to his pro day and everything but you kind of take him off your your fantasy radar going forward until he runs on anything like under 4-8 i think at this point yeah there's some guys like flying under the radar they can just keep flying and i think that's what i've learned through tight ends just they can continue to fly under the radar don't worry about radaring the tight ends in the 2020 class so yeah that those are kind of the skill position standouts risers and fallers of the group you know, again, it doesn't, it's like the combine is not the be all end all of everything, but it does kind of give you an idea. I think like Mims is the guy that was the Mims. most intriguing to me. This, like he, he's the kind of guy that could ha- have the Terry McLaurin type rookie season and I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. So like, he's the kind of guy that I'm. So give me a theme for the combine this year. What'd you learn? Give me a theme. Big idea. <laughs> um, the, I think the biggest thing I noticed is the primetime testing is terrible and I, and I hated it. <laughs> Like, it's such a cliche that media members, like, just bitch about everything. But it was just not, it was just not helpful to to have everything going on. your life personally? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also It didn't seem like any of the, no, none of the teams or players liked it either. Well, the players, it must be annoying because it's like, it starts at, you know, prime time. So, you know, Monday Night Football. But, like, Monday Night Football, notoriously, or Sunday Night Football, it's like, players have to sleep in. Because, you know, you can't, you're not trying to have your peak physical performance, like, 12 hours after you wake up. But these guys have to be doing interviews. They're doing stuff. They're doing All meetings day. with teams. So it's like, 
they, you know, they haven't been getting that much sleep. So like, you know, waking up six, seven, whatever time they have to work, wake up in the morning. And then you're running your 40 yard dash at like nine o'clock at night. And it's like, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. Here's, here's, a, here's a legitimate gripe I have with this, um, you know, apart from the fact that it made our lives a little bit more of a hassle <laughs> during the week is like the part of the reason that you're doing the combine is to compare these guys to historically like to 20 years of historical data to see where they stack up compared to that's why we hand time <laughs> god yeah and so like you know it gives you a baseline it gives you ability baseline to figure out if these guys have you know the speed and athleticism to play in the nfl and to be a bit impact players in the nfl and when you're doing that you want to have as few like extenuating variables as possible to eliminate as many as much error as possible and then moving it to the time of day you know like we were talking about like you're talking about where these guys are doing it late in the day it's completely different dynamic than the last 20 years of data so like you're going against all this data that we have like stacked and to me it's just silly it's stupid and and the numbers actually showed in a lot of cases like like players were slower in multiple drills this season, like overall, like the overall class was slower. So I don't know if that means anything. I think the one thing that it could do is going forward, agents of big name players could just tell their guys to not test. And so like the NFL could have an issue with these like primetime things because a lot of the top stars are just not testing at the combine. So yeah, in the 1980s, like ESPN, like one of the co-founders of ESPN, Chet Simmons approached Pete Rozelle and the commissioner of the NFL and said, we want to put the draft on TV. And he was like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> now it's like this. Chris Berman, who's an anchor at the time, explained it by being like, people thought it was one, like the, the NFL draft was one step above reading the yellow pages for entertainment. <laughs> and then 40 years later, the draft is such a behemoth. They're moving it city to city, draw millions of visitors. Yeah. Vegas might have one of the biggest weekends, just pop, like traffic-wise ever. Nashville had one of the biggest last year that they now have the combine in prime time, even though the athletic testing is a tertiary part of what is ultimately a logistical medical conference for <laughs> right, mass right, recruiting. Right. I mean, it's probably not going to change. Like, you know, if there's an ability to drum up more interest, like you're saying, like it's going to stay. But I do think that was a factor that teams will have to kind of keep in mind and players will have to keep in mind. Like it could change the you know, the overall baseline numbers of everything. And and because you're adding in that extra factor. Maybe that's why Henry Ruggs failed. It's too bad. All right. DK. Yeah. This was a pleasure and an honor, my man. Yeah, we had a blast down here in Indy. It was was a lot of fun. It was nice to just get away from Craig for a little bit too. It was just really (laughs) thrilling to just, you know, be free of him and his clutches. So thank you to DK. Thank you for the space from Craig. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Indianapolis. We'll see you guys next week.